no place I'd rather be than with you guys. You guys been having a good time? Like I said last year, the best part about retreats for me other than times in worship or in the Word is um, is just like Justin said, the margins, the little nooks and crannies of of when you're spending all day or a day and part of two days together. And just all the little times that you get to see one another talk. It's just been awesome. So I'm excited for that to continue this evening. Stand. Yes, I do want to stand. Okay. Um, great. So I was thinking through what I wanted to share with you all tonight uh, on Saturday at the retreat. And I just kept coming back to the idea of talking with you about what God's been teaching me lately. And I just want to share that. Um, It's not going to be on one specific passage, although it will center on one. Um, But it's it's going to be mainly about this topic that that we will encounter tonight. And I really hope that it will be deeply encouraging to you all, because it has been for me. Um, And it's more or less a pretty simple concept, but you you guys all know that simple concepts can sometimes be the hardest to let sink in. And I'm not finished learning this. This is I think this is something that all Christians learn over the course of their their whole life. And so I'm excited to chat with you about it tonight. Um, here's what it is, okay? It is that God, the Creator God, who made that, He is doing stuff. And specifically, one, He is doing stuff and has done work in us. And these are things like salvation. That's a big thing. But also things like making us more like Christ, giving us a desire for God, giving us love for others, um, helping us deal with our sin, our weaknesses. These are works that God is doing right now. He has done the work of salvation on the cross, but He is doing continued work in us. Second, Not only in us, but God is doing stuff through us, through his church, through Christians. He is doing things. So these are things like making disciples, preaching the good news. Um, But these are also things like walking in our specific paths. These are walking in our callings, working our jobs. As unto him, that is no small feat. Loving on our family, loving on our friends, 
our neighbors, and our city, and our world. Um, and these are things that aren't capital M ministry. These are things that are small m ministry. It's just good stuff that God is doing through us. And um, it's for His glory. It's Him showing the world His love through us. And so, these are two simple realities of, of life, of the Christian life. God is doing things in us. He is doing things through us. But what I want to hark on, hearken, I don't know, is that these are all well and good until these realities collide. And here's what I mean. So, say I sense a clear message from the Lord that He wants me to walk in this, this path, this, this opportunity to love, to, to do something for Him. But then I notice that I just, I just don't have it. I just don't have what it takes to love that person. I don't have what it takes to love that parent. I just don't have the boldness to accomplish this thing that I know is from Him. What do I do? What I know is from Him. It's, it's, it's obvious. And what I've encountered in my own life in those situations is I tend to be like, oh no, I have to, I have to pull back and, and figure this thing out and figure out how to do this so that I can then glorify God, so that I can then walk in what He's put in front of me. And this might lead me to think that I have to figure this out by myself, that this work He wants to do through me is great, but what needs to happen in me is mine to figure out. Um, But here's the thing. The work that God wants to do in me in order to do that work through me, is just as important to Him as the work He wants me to do. That His heart to change me in order that I might walk out these amazing things He wants to do through me, His heart is that I might be changed with His help. And it's not up to me. And so this whole process of receiving the love, receiving the boldness, of learning that I might walk in this path is as much from Him as the task that He's called me to. Is that simple? Does that make sense? It's hard to learn. And um, I had a a happening uh, a few months back. I'm a nurse, and I, I had a patient who I had some great conversations with. And she was a Christian, but she wasn't going to church, and neither was her family. And so basically, I was the only Christian that she knew, and the only Christian that her family knew then, because she had told them about conversations we had had. And she ended up passing away. And a few days after she died, I got a call at work. And it was the daughter of that patient. And she, um, now mind you, I've never done a funeral. This isn't something I'm 
Like, it's, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not like, oh, yeah, I do that. But she called me, and she wanted someone who, to do the funeral. Somebody, a Christian, to do the funeral. Because she knew that was important to her mom, and she knew that her mom had spoken with me about those things. And I was on the phone, and my mind went to, Justin could do it, or my dad could do it. I could ask one of those two people. But I knew, I knew, right when my mind went there, God said, uh, stop. Even if you did point them in that direction, that's not what they needed. What they needed was the presence and voice of a believer who knew your mom, her mom. And they didn't need some person who had it in their wheelhouse to do a funeral off the cuff. They needed someone who was there. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, I know, I know this is mine. I know that this is God placing that on me and for me. But holy smokes, I've never done that. And, but he's so faithful that despite not knowing what to do, how to do it, what, how to meet with someone whose mom just died in order to walk with them through this process. He provided, well, A, he provided Justin for me to help me through it. But more than that, he worked in me in order to walk out that task. And it was not something I had. And it's tempting when you, when you come across something like that to be like, Okay, I want to do that, so, uh, okay, hold on, God. Just give me a few few weeks. And, like, go get stuff figured out. But that's not how he does stuff. He brings opportunities about. He brings, he brings people into your life to love that you just don't know how to love. He brings, he opens doors at work that you just don't know how to walk through without getting caught up in the work thing. The cool thing is it's entirely in his plan and timing and purpose to equip you internally for that external path that he has laid out for you. So it's this whole this whole interplay, this sort of simultaneous work that God is doing and wants to do through us and in us and back through us and back in us. It's a constant thing. It's like playing catch. You're just, it just keeps going back and forth. And that, that is part of what he's doing. And it's good. Um, so that's what's captivated me recently. So what I wanted to do tonight is I want to open up our Bibles. And I want to walk through a couple passages that lend some light on this. So go ahead and open your uh, Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read verse 10. And then we're going to pray. Okay, so Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. 
God, I pray that you would be teaching us tonight by your Holy Spirit and by your Holy Word. Speak to us. Would give us the humility and the lightheartedness of knowing that it's not all about us. May we continue the fellowship tonight in you, for you, by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this verse succinctly states this dual reality that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're both. So there are two truths. We are God's work of art. We are his, the word is poema, where you can find the word poem. This is something beautiful that God has made. You are. As a believer in Christ, you are something beautiful that God has made, and it's a miracle. But also, we find the truth here that we are also created for good works. So we're both a good work of God, and we're created for good works, to continue the work. I love this verse. It shows that not only God has done something in us, recognizing this wonderful work of reconciliation that he has done, but also that this is for an even greater purpose, that he actually then uses us to accomplish this work that he has done. And here we go. But, but, this verse, verse 10 in all its glory, has an extremely important context. We must look at this quickly before we can move on. And I mean superbly important. It's, an, it's a very nice icing on the cake of verses 1 through 9. And in verses 1 through 9 describe our trajectory as what we were to what we are. It describes where we were, which is as fallen humans coming into a miraculous and God-initiated reconciliation with our Creator. So I'm going to be annoying and read all nine verses because I want to make a point. Verse 10 stands only on the foundation of those beginning nine verses. So let me read those real quick. Starting in verse 1 of Ephesians 2. And you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us 
in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We must, 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 must grasp. But then we have to regrasp and regrasp and remember the truth of these first nine verses before we can even touch verse 10. That is the beauty of Christianity. That our works, yes, God has works for us to do. But they are nothing, nothing in comparison with the great work that He has done. Check it. Verse 5. When we were dead, He made us alive. The only reason we can work, the only reason we can add anything to the, to the table is because of God's work that He's done. Period. We were dead. The Gospel. We were dead. Dead people cannot work. If you've seen a dead person, you know. They cannot work. And they can't put in the hours it takes to make themselves alive. That's just... You just can't. And that's where we were. So, we stand here today on God's grace. And that's it. That's where we start. That's where we begin every morning. That's where we begin every day at the job. That's where we are still when we get home. That's where we are when we lay down for the night. That's where we are right at this moment. We are at home in God's grace through Christ. Amen? But, He does, for some reason, He has chosen to use us as vessels of His continued work in the world. This sort of boggles my mind. Why would He choose to use me to accomplish His amazing work? It just seems so inefficient. Because I'm... I'm such a slow learner, and when he gives me something to do, it takes me forever to get to the point where I can do it. But we must remember that his work does not just include what he is doing through us. It also includes what he is doing in us. His using us is also a gift of grace. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, his disciple, um, protege, that God, quote, saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but, hear this, because of His own purpose and grace. So this means that while we don't know why God chose to use us as His instruments, and He clearly doesn't need us, but it's all according to His gracious plan. He does have works for you. And as a side note, um, this means not only you, me, as an individual believer in Christ, but also you as a member of what he calls his body, the church. You are not alone in this. In what he wants to do in this world, it's not just you. You're not alone. 
uh, there's an Anglican scholar named Chris Wright who says, God does not have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. So, meaning that walking in these good works, walking in these things God has for us, is not a side project. It's not an optional thing for us to do as, as part of the church. This is the purpose of the church, that we should carry out his mission in the world. So it means it's your purpose and my purpose as well. Isn't it encouraging to read that the same God that graciously reconciled us to himself has prepared these works for us? This isn't God saved us and then we have to figure out what the works are. He's prepared them. Look at that. It says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's so relieving to know that I don't have to make that up. I don't have to I don't have to plan for the work that God has for me to do. He hasn't prepared them for us to guess at, to hope that we do at some point, or to strive to just get it right. He has prepared them for us that we might walk in them. I love the word walk. It reminds me of Psalm 23 and so many other places in Scripture that describe our life with God as a stroll, as a time of refreshing encounter with God. And that's what he wants for us as we, as we walk in our callings, as we walk in our jobs, as we walk in our big M ministry, our small M ministry, our families, our friends. This is something he has prepared for each one of us. So we're walking along, we're, we're with him by the Spirit, taking each of these as they come. These are the little things, the big things, a good attitude at work, loving that aunt who everyone else discounts as crazy. These, these are the little daily opportunities of walking through the doors God opens to us. It's a posture of desiring to show Jesus to the world, to be a witness for what he has done. Are we open to it? Are we open and willing to walk in the things God has called us to? Uh, Jesus illustrates this whole concept um, in John 15. Go ahead and actually turn there. We'll camp there for a minute. He calls it bearing fruit. In verse 16 of chapter 15, he says, basically he says this should happen. That if we are a part of him, we will be doing things that make sense to him. He says in verse 16, You did not choose me, there we find God's grace again, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So according to our Lord, a right relationship with him leads to what he calls bearing fruit. So why? We already sort of wondered why. Why does God 
choose us to do these things through? Why does He desire to use us so greatly in doing His work? He begins, uh, Jesus begins to answer this question in this passage. He says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So we find that this is for God's glory, but it also leads others to God's glory. This is to reflect God to others. That there's no way that it can be us who gets the glory. And he answers the why again in verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This one is, is intense but good but, and good but intense. Because basically he's saying walking in the works, walking in the life, walking in the paths that he has for us is the joy-filled life. And that's what we're all looking for, right? I mean, experiencing the joy of the Lord, the joy of knowing our Creator, the joy of living that's something I think every human is desiring and is escaping so many and us at times. So is this true for us? Is this glorifying God, walking in what He has done, walking in what He is doing? Is that bringing us joy? Is that true for us? How many of us are at a tipping point of saying, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm trying so hard. Why isn't life fulfilling? Why am I dissatisfied? Why don't I experience joy as a Christian? That's a good question. I can relate with these questions. In my experience, I have experienced Many joy-filled moments. But so often, I retreat from those joy-filled moments with the Lord to self-filled moments. Where, yes, I was used by God. Let me just snap a selfie so I can stare at it. And then, all of a sudden, I forget who I'm with. I'm just looking at the picture and remembering when that happened. And it's good to remember when He used us because that shows us His faithfulness that we can look back and say, God was faithful to use us. He will do it again. But is it Him we're communing with in those moments? So that leads me to the question of how. How do we bear fruit? And how do we experience joy? Jesus answers the how of how do we bear fruit there in verse 5. He says, in, in chapter 15 of John, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is or she it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So here we find that just as in our Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 story of salvation, of God's amazing grace to snatch us out of sin, just as in that story we are powerless to accomplish anything for the kingdom apart from being bound to Christ. So just as a branch apart from a grapevine won't yield a cluster of grapes, we cannot yield any of those good works unless we abide, where the word means remain, in Christ. And I would remind myself that to abide isn't just a, a Bible word. It's a thing. It's a daily thing. To remain means to stay. That's all we're meant to do, is stay with Jesus. Don't depart from His side. If we keep Him, His Word, His love, at the center of our lives each day, the person of Jesus, a real person who is alive right now, we will bear fruit. And we never graduate from this dependence on Him. We just never, we don't celebrate one day going, Woo! I don't have to, I don't have to be united and bound to Christ in order to, to do good things. No. You're always in need of that. Why? Because the whole point is to know Him. He says that is eternal life. To know God and to know Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. That's what we're going to be doing the rest of eternity. And it's amazing. And remember, um, minor amazing side note, this chapter is sandwiched by the promise of sending the Holy Spirit. In chapter 14 and then 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and why He's sending Him. And remember how we describe the work of the Spirit in us? What is it? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> he will do this. So, getting back to my, back when we started, my original dilemma. What does this have to do with this? What does this have to do with the seeming interruption of the need that I have to change in order that I might walk in the good things that God has for me to do. What does this have to do with it? There's a tiny little verse, actually half a verse, at the beginning of this chapter that lends, lends some light on my, on my issue. Look at the second half of verse 2 of John 15. It says, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I'm going to read that again. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This pruning that he's talking about is not preparing for the first harvest. 
God has done stuff in us. He has used us. He has used us to share His love. This pruning is post that. It's after God has done a work through us, He then intentionally does more work in us that He might do more through us. God is basically saying, in order for me to do more things through you, I've got to do some more work in you. And just thinking about pruning, it might be tough. This might look like a dry season. This might look like a winter season. This might look like no fruit for a bit. Have you ever seen a pruned fruit tree? It doesn't even look like a tree. It's basically a, a trunk with some jutting out branches without any leaves or anything. It's, it's kind of sad. Barren. There's no hint of anything of value on it. And it, it's during these times of pruning that we can feel valueless before God. No food is coming in. We are experiencing increased temptation, perhaps, feeling our weaknesses more heavily, doubting God, doubting our purpose. Why would you want to use me? Look at me. This might look like a time of learning humility, a time of learning our need for God, not just that person's need that we need to fill. It's a time of learning our need again. A time of needing support from others. A time of getting counsel. A time of crying. Definitely a time of waiting on God. I definitely say I'm in a dry season right now at, in the context of my job. There were times months back when I felt like God was just opening the doors. I'm just like, okay, I'll walk through them. Here's a book. Here's a conversation. I can pray for you. This is great. But that hasn't happened for a while. And, and that's challenging. And that, that, that can be frustrating when we're like, ah, oh, I haven't done anything different. I'm, I guess I need to get back. Get back to the basics. Get back to the, the beginning. We've got to remember, like I talked about with the selfie, we do want to remember those times when God used us. He, one of his characteristics is faithfulness. Do we even know what that means? Do we know what that means in our lives? Can we point back to that time and say, okay, based on this time, that time, and the other time, okay, looking forward, I know what's going to happen. Not specifically, but you know God's going to provide. You know God's going to show himself faithful to you. He is faithful to use us, and he'll do it again. But the work He is doing in us is also important to Him. He is in it, unlike many, 
for the long haul. Amen to that. We are in a day of, of transient relationships, minor relationships that come and go. And that can be a big bummer. We just had, we were in pretty close relationship with three neighbors above us, next to us, a couple blocks away. They all moved away in like a week. And I, I grew up not really knowing my neighbors. And so that w- knowing my neighbors was just like a weird new blessing that I had never known before. It was cool. It's not something that's guaranteed, but it's cool. They're gone. <laughs> and that's sad. God is not like that. He is in it for the long haul. This is an ongoing thing. And it will remain ongoing till morning. By that I mean like the Peter Pan morning. Straight on until morning. He'll use you again. And he'll prune you again. This isn't a cruel thing. God's just, oh, good job. Cut off your the good part of you there. No, this is like it says in, in verse two there. That it be not, whoa. That it may bear more fruit. This is looking forward. This is God investing in us. It's so good. So what things for me get in the way of my readiness to walk in what God has for me? Two of which I wanted to touch on tonight. First off is my sin. It gets in the way. He gives me a thing to do, and my sin gets in the way. The second thing is my weakness. So, we don't have to turn back, but I want to talk about Paul again. Because he, for basically being the most important apostle, like, he was very important in God's work. He was surprisingly honest. And he offers some insight on how we can deal with with these two areas of sin and weakness in our lives. In Romans 7, Paul famously and honestly describes the tug of war he was experiencing between his old sin nature and his new nature found in Christ. If you haven't read it before, I encourage you to read all of chapter 7 and 8 of Romans. But in verses 18 and 19 of Romans 7, Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So he says, I have the desire to do what is right. I might be reaching here, but I, I want to ask, what if this what is right thing for Paul is something he knew was from, from God for him to do? Like God gave him something. This is what is right. And he says, I have the desire to do that, but not the ability to carry it out. 
Nothing good dwells in me. My sin is getting in the way. For us, what if we feel God calling us to something, but we just know we can't do it? We've got sin in the way. We do not have the ability to carry it out. Bummer. In my experience, this, this leads me to feelings of shame. That my sin is getting in the way of walking in what God has given me to do. Oh, I'm sorry. It can lead to discouragement. This can definitely lead to isolation. Like, I'm alone in this because God has given me this specific thing for me to do, and I have this specific sin that's getting in the way. I'm alone. That, no one else has experienced that. And so I hide. Or I don't share that. So we might pull away not only from others, but from God. Because we're embarrassed that we can't do the thing we know He wants us to do. It can feel like in those moments, we're taking steps back to figure this out. Like, ah, oh, what is it about us that is inhibiting our ability to carry out this work? So going back to what we talked about earlier, what if God put that thing, that what is right, in your life so that you would see your sin? So that you would see your inability and so that He might do that mighty work in you so that you can do it. So that He can empower you then to do it. Sometimes He puts, like I said earlier, those people in your life that, is, that aren't easy to love, but they're there. And they're there to stay. And what is it that's getting in the way of you loving them? You. It's when our sin is directly related to that thing that we know we need to do, that it's so, it hurts. It's like, I wish I could do that, but I can't. So Paul, what did he do? In this uh, passage, his eventual confession is this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wow. This is the cry of a desperate man. Paul, formerly Saul, the great apostle, was a sinner just like us, and he knew it. And he knew it was keeping him from what he needed to do, and he was desperate. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Not how will I deliver myself, but who will deliver me? This is not an inward cry. This is a, an outward cry. A hands-open cry. Who will deliver me? There's got to be somebody. And who was it? Jesus. Easy. Easy answer. 
He was desperate because of his sin that was keeping him from the life. Here's the truth. We are always in desperate need of Jesus. I heard that one time in one of my dad's sermons. Just stuck in there. Because at the time, I was dealing with anxiety very much. And I felt desperate. Because it was crippling my ability to do anything for God. Because everything was about me. Everything freaked me out. So we are always in desperate need of Jesus. But do we realize it? Do we recognize and invite Him to deal with that sin that's getting in our way? Here's a little nugget. He's not annoyed with you that you're human. He stands ready to walk with you. Some of my favorite psalms talk about how we are, we are but dust. And God knows that. But He still died for us. He still took on flesh, like we sang just a bit ago. He still destroyed our sin on the cross. And He's still ready to walk with you as you deal with that sin. As you seek to, to remove its power over you through Him, through the Spirit. So sin makes us desperate, and that's good. Our weaknesses can also get in the way. Now, mind you, weaknesses aren't sin. They're just weaknesses. They may be because of sin or being born into this world, a fallen world, Paul, again, has the experience to help us. Paul had some weakness. We don't know what it was. But he called it a thorn in the flesh. Sounds like it was annoying. Sounds like it distracted from. It distracted him from what he had to do. What he did was, he begged God to take it away. He asked God three times take it away. To make it go away. Come on. Then I'll be able to do more. It's easy. It's a win-win. You take it away, I win. Then I can do more. You win. That's what win-win is. <laughs> so three times he asked for it to be removed. And Jesus, what did he say? No. He said no. And then he clarified. He said my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to read that one again, because it's just good. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in, I'll put in, your weakness. Jesus' power is shown more glorious when it is in the context of our weakness. Whoa! Why? Our weaknesses require dependence on Him. They're only weaknesses when they correlate to what needs to be done. 
An example might be, we're not, we're not all, probably maybe one of us, are trained counselors. And yet, times, God places people into your life that have experienced deep grief, trauma, suffering. And sometimes when that happens, and there's someone in our lives that we know God has called us to love, and it's not that we don't have the love for them, it's that we feel like we don't have the tools. We don't have a degree in, in, in helping people with this stuff. But here's the thing. You're there. You're the one there. You're the Christian in their life. Despite your weakness, God may use you tremendously in that person's life. It doesn't mean you won't invite others to help you. But it does mean you can't pawn anyone off on anybody else. Because God has put you there. Yeah, you have weakness. But that's why Jesus gets the glory. When we are faced with a path of righteousness to walk in, and we discover we are wrought with weakness related to the task, we need not lose heart. Amazingly, God calls us, and then He equips us. He taps us on the shoulder, and then He blows our minds with how He uses us. There have been times when God used me in a way that objectively there's no way that should have happened. And it's in those moments He even proves to us that it's for His glory. Sometimes other people might yeah, see God's glory, but sometimes we keep a little of it for ourselves. Like, wow, that was pretty awesome, what God did through me. But there are other times when he does it so clearly not you that you're like, whoa, like, I can't worship hard enough right now because, you know? And that's just, that, that's the thing. That's every time. That is every time. He keeps us dependent on Him that He might get the glory. And He's the only one that deserves glory. And even in our own hearts, He gets the glory when He works through our weaknesses. So we learn desperation for, because of our sin. We learn dependence because of our weakness. It's truly a beautiful thing what God has chosen to do by grace, with us. He powerfully uses us as ambassadors of His grace in a fallen world. And He gently and patiently completes the work that He has begun in us. He's not all about, well, I guess He is all about results. But not just the ones you can see. Also the ones you can't see. Some of us might not resonate with this. Um, so rather than your sin getting in the way or your weakness getting in the way, you might say, you just don't know what to do for God. 
Maybe God just isn't speaking to you to do anything. Maybe you've searched for His plan and come up lacking anything. I want to just point you to two things. In this same passage, John 15, Jesus said that what this ends up looking like is a love like His. He says, Abide in my love. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will keep my commandments. What is my commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So that's what this ends up looking like. But for those of you who say, I don't know what to do. I've got a quote for you. You may have heard it, but it's worth hearing again. It's from a man named George Merriam, and it has encouraged me on many occasions, especially in times, like we talked about earlier, of feeling barren, feeling empty, feeling pruned. He says, However perplexed you may at any hour become about some question of truth, One refuge and resource is always at hand. You can do something for someone besides yourself. At the times when you cannot see God, there is still open to you this sacred possibility to show God. For it is the love and kindness of human hearts through which the divine reality comes home to a human person, whether they name it or not. Let this thought then stay with you There may be times when you cannot find help, but there is no time when you cannot give it. And I wanted to share that with you just because this gives the essence of things we can do before we feel like doing things. We can show God's love before we feel it. Isn't that crazy? God God is meek enough to show Himself despite you not feeling his... I don't know. It's just cool that he's cool with that. Also, remember, you're not just saved unto individual good works, but you are, but you're not just saved to that. You're saved into the family of God, the body of Christ. So include one another in your journey. Include one another when you're like, I don't know what to do. Also, most importantly, include God in your search. What I've found the most cool and the most dangerous to do is to ask God for opportunities. Because He'll give them to you. Ask Him for leading by His Spirit, ask Him for guidance. Ask Him for opportunities to show someone God's love who needs to experience it. So I want to close, but I want to turn to a passage that Matt referenced yesterday that if, if you haven't familiarized yourself with it, I would highly encourage you to do that. The passage is Matthew 11. So go ahead and turn there.
So in verse 28 through 30, Jesus gives his invitation. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We talked about this yesterday a bit when we were talking about dipping into the rest God has for us. I know there are people here that are heavy laden, that are burdened. The cool thing is that with this Christian life, you're not docked when you have to go back to the basics. You have to go back to the basics every morning. Jesus wants you to come to him afresh. And might I just remind us that a yolk is not the inside of an egg. It is, well, this spelling anyway. It is a piece of like farming or agricultural equipment that goes around the neck of an ox or a cow or whatever. And then that animal then pulls the plow or whatever. <laughs> that's work. Taking a yoke upon yourself, that, that's work. But this yoke is different. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. This yoke, this burden, is the one that Jesus has. And it's not one that is heavy. It's not one that is brutal. It's not one that is cruel. It's a restful one, rooted in His grace and His work. That word easy, and when He says, my yoke is easy, that can also mean well-fitting. This thing, this, this path, this life that God has for you, specifically, is one that's tailor-made for you. He's not going to put other people's yoke on you. It's yours. And yours alone to carry with Him. We're so prone to taking other people's. We're so prone to taking the good things God has given us to do and reinterpret them as crushing. So, it's not if, but when we do that, when we, when we take on that burdensome load that's not meant for us, it's not if we do that, but when. The first thing to do is using that word repent, which just means to turn around and come back. Come back to Jesus. Remember His grace. Remember His faithfulness to do work through us, to do work in us. Remembering that we didn't do that work of salvation, that mighty work that we all stand on. It's the only reason any of us are alive. 
the more we understand His grace for us, the more we will desire and be open to the things God wants to do through us for others and for His glory. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray. Father God, we are here as a family, family of God. And we are thankful that our rest is founded upon the work that you've done. And we are intrigued, curious to know what you have for us to do. Knowing that that's not about us, but it's about you. Knowing that that work you have for us to do is not work to make us closer to you. It's work to show others how good you are. Lord, help us when we forget that to come back. Help us to walk in that. And not to run. Not to, to feel like we, we need to carry that burden. To strive. But to walk. To experience the joy of living that life with you. Every day. Lord, we live in such a, a busy, busy world. And every minute feels so important. So how much more important are the minutes that we can spend with you remembering your faithfulness? Lord, help us to do that. Help us to build those rhythms of work and rest and that rest that's founded on you. Lord, help us as we worship tonight, as we pray for one another, as we just stand before you completely justified, but only by Christ. Help us to just be excited. Give us that, that excitement that comes from knowing the end. That the ultimate reality is your glory and your goodness. We are so prone to forget it. We are so prone to worry about our own reputation, worrying about what people think of us, worrying about what you think of us. Worrying that you don't think well of us. But through Christ, you do. So we are so thankful for that. Lord, be, be with us tonight. Send your Spirit to be in us, Lord, as we continue to fellowship and be with each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so we're going to... We're gonna...